lovely day to you. Welcome back to Stream Technicalities and thank you for episode one. We really appreciate your feedback. Today, we'd like to diverge a bit from the passion of Christ and move to a very pressing topic that was coming up as a part of our season. But I'm Kwame and I'm here with Kenneth. I'm Prosper. And today, we're going to talk about salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. So we are going to talk about these three and how they relate with our Christian life. And we are really going to go into detail concerning this. So um, with salvation, we began all because of a fruit. And then we went back to God's drawing board. We took a look at God's master plan. Then later on, we went to see whether they need was the blessed assurance. And in fact, is Jesus ours with blessed assurance, Jesus mine. That was episode one and two. And... Now, we want to really talk about these three and what they mean to us as Christians. Because I realized something in the Bible that um, a lot of things happen in threes. So we're going to talk about the big three of salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. So justification, please. So what is it and what does it make to a Christian and what does it add to a Christian? What makes it so special and why do we need to understand this when it comes to salvation? So Ken. Justification. So, as Kwame rightly said, the big three of salvation. So, in Romans 8 and from verse 29, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So, right there from verse 20. Now, you see all these things coming into play. There's the calling, there's the justification, there's the glorification. Now, to be justified, simply just as me, just as if you have never sinned. Justification, just as if you have never sinned. That's as simple as it can be. Now, in justification, what what it means simply means is that, as they write, it says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not count his iniquities. So this is as simple as it can be. All right. Say your prosper. Okay. So justification also, like my brother rightly said, you know, it deals with, you know, our sins being um, atoned for. It, it actually deals with the legal aspect of our salvation. Um, and justification is so profound that um, when the Bible was describing justification in the book of Romans, you know. It tells us that we have been justified by his grace. Romans 3, 24. And he also says that we have been justified by faith. Romans 5, 1. But much more, we have also been justified by his blood. Romans 5, 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think these are other aspects to yeah, maybe we'll talk about when... Um, as yeah, the, during, the the course, during the course of the conversation. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And one thing just came to mind, I just put down. It says, justification, just as God has made me qualified. Wow. Just as God has made me qualified. Right. Or just as God has called me qualified. That is justification. And it's a legal term. Exactly. A legal term. So a great theologian, is it? It's not A.W. Pink. Um, Reverend Kenyon. Oh, okay. Yes. He stated that it is when you can now stand before God and stand with no with no shame, nothing to hide, and also when you can stand eyeball to eyeball with the accuser, the devil, yeah, 
and tell him to leave you alone because God has called you qualified. And as Prosper Riley said, we've been justified by a lot of things, which we'll say in detail because, in fact, God didn't leave us in the dark with these items. A lot of things, even as far back as Genesis, where in the garden, God took an animal. Rabbis believe is a lamb. Yeah. And he killed the lamb to cover them. Ask yourself why. It was a shadow of what Jesus was going to do. Yeah. But there was something else that was deeper in meaning. What was he trying to prove? They said that they couldn't stand before God. Why? They were naked. Yeah. That was justification. That was a whole salvation story compressed into one single act. Yeah. Yeah. So he killed an animal, wrapped them up, so now they could have confidence to stand before God. Because remember, when they went out of the garden, then people were being made in that same image of them being covered. That's how come they became known as mankind. Do you realize that when Cain and Abel were around, they were talking to God as if they were mates? Read the text carefully in Genesis 3. You realize that's how it was. So it now tells you that God himself had to provide that justification for a man to now be able to stand before him. If it had not been the case, man will always be hiding due to sin and shame. Yeah, and also, when man fell, man took actually fig leaves to cover himself. And fig leaves, you know, speaks of man's own righteousness. Yes, Uh, the self. So when God came, he actually took that fig leaves, slew a lamp, and used it to cover them, atonement. That's why when Christ came, the first thing he cursed on earth was the fig tree. Yes. Yeah. So man's own righteousness cannot actually justify him before God. In fact, throughout the gospel accounts, that was the only thing he really cursed. That was the explicit thing he cursed. That was the only thing he cursed. That was representative of man's self-righteousness and then his work. His works, okay? Yeah. Some believe in horses, others trust in chariots, but we believe in the name of the Lord our God. Horses speak of the natural systems that God had already put in place from creation, but then due to the fall, were corrupted. Chariots speak of the mechanicians and then the devices that men create to perfect plans and create works. You get it? So then, so now the fig tree is a consummation of the two because the wood was useful, the leaves were useful, right? So the wood can be used to create boxes, chariots, carts, whatever, and whatever. And then the leaves were used for medicines. And then in the beginning, they were trying to use it to cover themselves up. So now justification takes away the need to try and prove ourselves before God. Exactly. That's what justification does. That's why Christ's work is called the perfect work. No, can you imagine? No work could be done by a man to get him to heaven. But only one work was needed. That was the perfect work of Christ. Yeah. uh, What do you say, Ken? Yeah, exactly. That's the perfect work of God. And I mean, there's this one thing that comes comes to mind. And when you continue in Romans chapter 8, it says, we shall lay a charge against God's elect. It's God that justifies. So just as it has been rightly said, the justification that in that legal sense is that we've been vindicated. The vindication is to show someone to be just, to prove someone to be just, to prove someone to be right. And in that sense, the person, there's no charge you can lay against the person. Meaning that when the accuser of the burden comes and he points at us and says, you are wearing filthy rags, but we have the confidence that because of the work that Christ did, because of the blood that has been shed, because of the access we now have into his presence, because of the... Co- because of the privilege of the Spirit in us, then we can be free that this charge will not hold. Yeah, yeah. And 
it now will take us to our second item on the menu. That's sanctification. But, oh, person, I want to say something. <laughs> Why not? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So, I was trying to say that, yes, the, the, the work of Christ is, I mean, it was the perfect work that man needed to be saved. You know, so much that Abraham himself needed to believe in Christ to be saved. <laughs> yeah, that that I nearly forgot that. Yeah. I nearly forgot that. Abraham, I nearly forgot that. Abraham, Abraham, Take us away. Yeah, Abraham himself needed to believe in Christ to be saved. Amazing. But Abraham existed before Christ. But Christ was necessary for Abraham's salvation, for Abraham's justification. Hmm. Paul, now, we know that, you know, for us to understand the subject in the Bible, there's something called the law of first mention. Mm-hmm. You know, so you need to understand where actually that thing was first, you know, mentioned in the Bible because first happenings actually set a precedent for other happenings. You see, mm-hmm. Paul, um, Paul told us in Romans 4 that what shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found. You see, for if Abraham were justified by works, he has whereof the glory, but not before God. But what's here the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him. Amazing. Righteousness. Uh-huh. But when was this righteousness imputed unto Abraham? When, were, when was it credited unto him? Mm-hmm. You know, it was in Genesis 15. Uh-huh. In Genesis 15, God appeared to Abraham and said, Abraham, can you number the stars? And Abraham believed. <laughs> that was a God brought Abraham abroad and said, Abraham, can you number the stars? And Abraham believed and, I mean, he was justified. How can a man just look at the stars and he'll believe and righteousness will be imputed unto him? <laughs> you know, it's a mystery because um, the word number used there, you know, is, is never used in, in the entire Hebrew language as number. The word number used there actually means to tell a story. Yeah, so God asked Abraham, Abraham, can you tell the story of the stars? And he believed. <laughs> because Ancient Jews, you know, Jewish authority holds that there are 12 constellations of the stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's Virgo and there's Leo. You see, Virgo means a virgin and Leo means a lion. So God was telling Abraham the story concerning his son through the stars that Abraham, my son, will be born in the womb of a virgin, which is Virgo, mm-hmm. and will die and emerge as the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is Leo, and Abraham believed and righteousness was imputed unto him. And that imputation <laughs> then was that accounting term where yeah. it says to mark off, yeah. to make marks, <laughs> to not account of the marks. So yeah, what yeah. do the marks mean? Yeah. And that same accounting to him was the same word that was used to as the number because yeah, now Abraham was now seeing the marks, which was in the stars, seeing the signs, marking them off, and telling the story yeah, of the yeah. stars. Yeah, so it was, you know, it was the Greek word logizomai. It's actually a banking term. It literally means to balance the books, you know. So God actually imputed his own righteousness to Abraham. But that wasn't the first time Abraham believed in God. Yeah. The first time Abraham believed in God was in Genesis 12, mm-hmm. which Paul re-echoed in Hebrews eleven eight by faith. Abraham, when he was called out to go into a place which he should afterward receive as an inheritance. He obeyed and he went, not knowing whether he went. The Bible said by faith. But that faith didn't give him righteousness. But the faith in Genesis 15 gave him righteousness. He was justified. Why? Because that faith was the faith concerning the Son of God. Mm. So justification is in Christ alone. 
And also, Brother mentioned that um, it was righteousness was imputed unto him. The point that should be established is that we don't receive the righteousness of Christ. We receive Christ as righteousness. Yeah. So when we put on Christ, we put on righteousness. It's not that you take the righteousness of Christ separate from Christ and you no, receive no, no, no. it. Christ is our righteousness. And what God sees when he sees you is Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So actually we receive Christ as the receipt exactly. to the bill. Exactly. Because from our previous episodes, we had this term we always um, threw around. That was discharged and acquitted. Yeah. The bill... In fact, the receipt for our discharge and acquittal is Jesus Christ. That's how we receive him as our righteousness. This is the beauty of justification. Now, the system of sanctification as revealed by the temple and the tabernacle system. Okay, but then let's talk about what was the means of justification before the death of Christ, before we talk about the token of the blood. Let's go there. Okay, so you need to understand that Christ is exclusive no matter the dispensation, Christ is necessary for salvation. You see, that's why the cross is boundless in time and space. Mm. You know, what Christ did can never be erased in the corridors of time. So, um, the Old Testament folks, they look forward to the cross for their salvation. That was why there was a sacrifice of bulls and goats and all those things. It was a shadow. You know, it was a prefigure of what Christ will come and do. And we, the New Testament saints, we look back to the cross for, for our salvation and redemption. So, whichever way you look at it, Christ is necessary. The Bible said, of which salvation, the prophet inquired. They searched into this thing we have today. Mm-hmm. You see, they look forward to the salvation we have. And they were just giving the shadows. And we have the substance. Mm-hmm. So, still, Christ is exclusive. Yeah. Holy Christ. In fact, that reminds <laughs> me of the Sunday school song. One way God said, we'll get to heaven. Jesus is the only way. Yeah. <laughs> That that is a real truth there. I mean, we we take it for granted. And just to add to that, I think that's the basis of evangelical work because in our time today we look back to the cross. That is yeah. evangel- evangelism, taking people back to the cross in yeah. order to move forward again. So we've spoken about the means of it. So it means exclusively Christ. Christ. So it means then Christ was revealed in shadows. Yeah. In yeah. shadows. Yeah. And that's where the token of the blood comes in. And the necessity for a tabernacle system. So why the tabernacle system? Because before the tabernacle was set up, people were sacrificing on altars. Altars of stones. And God was honoring those. For example, um, Cain and Abel, the first famous murder case. Yeah. Um, you get it? It was hard to deal with altars. And when Abel came and then sacrificed on the altar, and God accepted the sacrifice and rejected Cain, then Cain murdered his brother and then that's the first instance of where we hear um, blood speaking. God yeah. saying that blood has a voice. Yeah. I think that's where the blood comes in. Don't you think? Don't you think, Prosper? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where the work of the blood comes in. But even prior to that, we know that God took us back to Adam. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. So that's where the whole message of salvation, how that blood was necessary. You know, that's where it began. Yeah. Yeah, because it also reminds me of the fact that heaven is like a court system. The story of Job made us clear about it. Yeah. The story of Job made us clear. In fact, the whole of Job, in order to read it better, you don't read it just as a poetic book. You read it as a legal book, a legal case. Because the word shatan there is actually the word in Hebrew used for prosecutor or accuser. 
That's the word there. So you see that it's actually a court setting between a great judge, a prosecutor, a defendant, and witnesses. So you see that whole case there. That's the whole essence of justification. And so, an, okay. another setting is Joshua, the high priest, who came before in the presence of God with the filthy garments. Yeah. Right. yeah. He also was present there. I mean, was there to was there to accuse Joshua that God look at him. He's wearing filthy garments, but yes, thereby yet he's in your presence. Yeah. And then the Bible says, and it says, the Lord rebuke you. You know how the preacher says, This is the Lord rebuke you. Rebuke you. Don't you see that this is a brand plucked out from the fire? Yes, so then you see justified that, that the high priest was being accused of not being able to present himself before God because his garments were filthy. Yet God justified him and said that, do not call him filthy, but then call him clean. Put garments upon him. Yeah. That is the essence of justification. Yeah. So now, we've been justified. Full stop. Discharged and acquitted. Full stop. Now, sanctification. Why is it important? And in fact, before we even understand why it's important, what is sanctification? Kenda, you spoke first last time, so I think first should do that. <laughs> so sanctific- sanctification is God adding himself, you know, to us. Uh, it's like the process of washing, you know, washing a cloth with a detergent. Mm-hmm. You know, as you wash, the same detergent actually takes out the death and the impurities from it. Mm-hmm. And the detergent actually adds its fragrance to the cloth. That's what God is doing. Mm. As God is taking, I mean, this fleshly nature from us, he's adding himself mm. to us. Mm. Uh-huh. That's the process of sanctification. That's where we come to establish the fact that um, salvation is actually used in three tenses, past, present, and future. Yeah. You know, so we have been saved. That is past. That is our spirit. We've, we've already been justified. But we are being saved. That is present. That's the sanctification process we are currently undergoing. Uh-huh. But we shall also be saved. Romans 12, too. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. for our readers there, I think you would like to say something before? Yeah. The illustration of the washing of scripture just came to mind. Ephesians 5 26. That's what you sanctify him by the washing of the water with the word. Yes. 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 So yes. in the Ephesians 5 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he yeah. might present it to himself, a glorious church. Not having spot or ring or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So right there, the illustration of the washing is, has been has been given in the scripture to show that yes, just as he said, in the washing there's the removal of the dead, then there's the addition of the fragrance. So at the end of the day, what he washes you and he gives you of himself, then he presents you to himself, yeah. holy and blameless. In fact, that's what even Romans twelve verse one and two talks about. Therefore, brethren, I receive thee by the message of God that ye present yourselves as a living sacrifice, sacrifice, whole and acceptable unto God. For this is your reasonable act of worship. Worship now is where the tabernacle setting comes in. We'll talk about that in a moment. And it says in the verse 2 that, therefore do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So then it tells us that at the level of sanctification, that is when we really can understand what the will of God is. Yeah. In justification, we are presented with the will of God, but the comprehension of his will is understood by sanctification. This is even where we now need to talk about carnal Christians, because it's a reality. And a beautiful illustration you give the prosper and then a great addition can because 
One thing that came to mind as I was thinking about this was justification is that we've been put in the water. We've been baptized into his death and we are being raised into new life. But then the baptism is not just a one-time thing. It's an every-time thing. That is why it is a sanctification process. As the washing. Then as we are washed and the impurities are being removed, one day the impurities will be removed completely and we can be hanged on the line to become spotless and white. That is our glorification. Beautiful illustration. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So sanctification is simply when God asks himself to us. Simply. The same as holiness. In fact, it's one and the same. Yeah. Because then it now makes so much perfect sense about the idea of why God selected Israel and said, be holy as I am holy. And and he told Moses first that I am setting Israel aside to become a nation of priests. But then Israel disappointed God. (laughs) (laughs) Because always I see Israel as a small summary of the world at large. Israel is a sample space. So there's something in statistics we call the sample space. You can't have a whole thorough um, opinion garnering of the whole nation because 24 million are too many people and it will take years to complete it. So you take a sample space, which is a well-ordered representation of the entire whole, right? And then based on the conclusion of the sample space, you can safely say that this is the average opinion. This is what God did with Israel. That this is the sample space of humanity. But then, per the rebellion of Israel, it was safe for God to say that everyone was rebellious. Yeah. Someone will say, why is it that now, because of someone, I'm assuming that everyone is at fault. Because <laughs> if it wasn't Israel, it was another nation, they would have done the same thing. They would have done the same. Yeah. Because it got to a point in time, Israel looked like the nations around them. Yeah. Child sacrifice. That God said Israel shouldn't do, set themselves apart from it. They were doing the yeah. problems that were plaguing the nations around that God wanted to start clearing up with Israel as his pet project was still prevalent amongst them. So then he had to not take his group of people known as the Levites. Yeah. And then the Levites at Mount Sinai, that's where 3,000 people were killed. Yeah. Yes. The earth opened up, swallowed them, and then they went because they worshipped a golden calf. But then even with Levi, they were still having issues. Politics and all that kind of stuff. Then God had to not take Aaron's line. Yeah. You get it. So you see how human beings are. But that's the more reason why we need to set ourselves apart unto God. I think, guys, we should take a look at the tabernacle and what it really talks about when it comes to sanctification. Tabernacle. The first mention of the tabernacle is Exodus. 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 So, guys, tell our listeners a bit about the tabernacle. What was so special about the tabernacle? So, the tabernacle of Moses was God's system of bringing man into God. Okay. Uh, because prior to the tabernacle, God seemed to be abstract. He seemed to be far-fetched. He seemed to be so impersonal, you know. So the tabernacle was what God, I mean, instituted so that he could bring man into himself. Uh, but if we go into the details of the tabernacle, realize that it has a lot to do with us. Because this was the case where the tabernacle, there were three sections. The outer court, holy place, and the most holy place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the outer court where, uh, was where sacrifices was made. So, you know, there was the altar of sacrifice, you know. And then the holy place, you know, was the golden altar of incense. Mm-hmm. You know, the showbread and the lampstand, yeah. you know. And um, the most holy place actually is where 
the Ark of Covenant was. And all these three sections actually deals with the, the salvation of the believer. You know, because at the altar courts, that's where we encounter the cross. You know, because the altar of sacrifice actually speaks of the cross. You know, but when we go on further, we now come into the word. You know, which is the showbread. It actually speaks of the word. You know, it speaks of the word. But, but why is it that even Christ likened himself to the word? That when he came, he said, I am the bread of life. Because bread actually is for universal sustenance. Yes. In Ghana, we have fufu. In China, in China, they have another food. But bread can be found on every nation on, on this continent. You can find bread in China, Switzerland, everywhere. Different shapes and sizes. Exactly. So when Christ said he's the bread of life, he came to be eaten by all men. By all men. And then uh-huh. just even chip in with that, the miracle of the 5,000 and the yeah, 7,000. Yeah. Now, with the 5,000, it's produced 12 basketfuls. With a miracle of the 7,000, it produced um, seven basketfuls, right? Yeah. Remember? Yes. The first 5,000, the 5,000 was represented of five grace. Grace yeah. being extended to Israel. And if you realize, the 5,000 happened before the 7,000. Yeah. So grace, or Jesus Christ, as the word of life, was now extending himself to 12 nations. 12 basketfuls were yeah, produced. Yeah. Then when he extended himself to the seven continents of the world, which are actually representative of the seven races, the Gergeshites, the Penerzites, yeah, the Canaanites, yeah. the Jebusites, every human race is found or classified under these seven. Yeah. Right? And out of these seven, the 7,000, five basketfuls were produced. Yeah. Which was representative of the grace of God extending to the nation. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So a perfect way, sorry, that has seven basketfuls because five loaves of bread and two fish. Five, speaking of the grace of God, two, speaking of the distinction of God. It's mean the number of testimony. And the number testifies of, of God's grace, yeah. Yes, so then you see that extension was now being made to the nation. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing too, with that same room, in that same room was where the lampstand was also yeah. found. On the left of the altar. Yeah. The altar where the altar of incense was found. Yeah. And the incense now speaks of prayer and worship. Exactly. And even that altar had four corner points, which was the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah. Another meaning is the four creatures around growth throne. So it's actually, the room was actually arranged to be a positioning of how heaven looks like. Because the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until thy enemies become thy footstool. Yeah. So the bread, which is the word of life, representing Jesus is on the right. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is on the left. And God the Father's throne is in the middle. Yeah. With the four creatures surrounding him. And he in the middle, as Hebrews 12 verse um, 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. So consuming fire in the middle with the four creatures around. Christ on the right hand being our intercessor then the spirit on the left being the manifestation of his greatness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then you see again that the four arrows represent the four because they were arranged in such a way that they were so the four corner, the four corners of the altar were supposed to align with the cardinal points on the compass. Yeah. So anytime they set it, they didn't set it like a square, they set it like a diamond. So that the north will face the north point. The south will face the south point. The east will face the east point. The west will face the west point. And that was talking about the news, the good news of our yeah. Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. North, east, west, and south. That's the acronym for news. So yeah. north, east, west, and south. So the universal effect of God's grace and prayer and our worship 
how it affects the whole world. Yeah, exactly. I'm just to add a little thing to all that they've said. Before the holy place, there is the bronze lava. Yeah. Now, before the priests, before they enter the holy place, what they do is that they wash themselves on the bronze lava. Yeah. So now the altar of sacrifice is where the blood is. So by the blood, what? As Hebrews, Hebrews 13 says, so he suffered for you outside the temple so that he might be what be sanctified. That was through the blood. So now the blood, through the blood, the priest makes atonement for himself first. Then as he goes to the bronze level, what does he do? He cleanses himself. So this has to talk about his setting apart. So one, there's the setting apart by the blood. Then when you get to the bronze level, there's also another setting apart. But this time, his responsibility to set himself apart. That's yeah. the bit I want to add. And also, yeah. with the brazen altar, you see, the brazen altar, you know, is, was made of bronze. Yes. And we know bronze speaks of judgment. It was actually made of the mirrors of women. Mm. It was made of the mirrors of women. So that if you look into the brazen altar, what you see is you see your face. Exactly. exactly. You see your face. Uh-huh. And the priest had to wash their feet in that because the tabernacle was in it was in it was in the sand. You see, and they don't wear slippers, they walk barefooted. So they had to wash, you know, their feet at the brazen altar before they enter. Why? Because it, it speaks actually of the life of the, of the believer. Even though, you remember, you know, Jesus, he was washing his disciples and Peter said, no, no, no. I won't allow you to wash me. Yeah. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Yes. And Peter said, no. Then you have to wash my whole body. Yes, yes. And Jesus said, no. He that is washed need not to be washed again. We have been saved our whole body has been washed, but why our feet has to be washed? Because if, as we go about our normal lives, we get entangled with the affairs of this life, and we have to come to the brazen altar, which is the word. You know, you see your face. Why? Because as in water, face answered to face. Yes. When you see your, your face in the word, in the water, you begin to walk in judgment, because he that is spiritual judges all things. All things. Yeah. And likewise, as Paul admonishes us, he says, therefore, examine thyselves in your faith. Yeah. Examine thyself yeah. in your faith. Exactly. So the bronze lever, the lever was actually as Ephesians 4 says, by the sanctification of the word. Wash, wash, Sorry. Washing. By the washing of the word. Now we examine ourselves in the word. It says that, therefore, as beholding him in a mirror, yet dimly oh. we shall behold him face to face. <laughs> Soon it shall be made clear. Yeah, you know, you're saying, but now we see in part. We see in part. But then face to face. In fact, the women's mirror, let's disabuse your minds a bit. The women's mirror was not the glass. Reflective mirror, right? It was actually extra polished metal. Yeah, exactly. So it was a dim reflection. Yeah. Just as maybe you have that shiny musical instrument and you're trying to see your reflection inside. You see that it's a very bled, distorted reflection. That was how the typical mirror of the day was. And so you feel that and you get that, which is already reflecting, and you add water to it. Now you get the perfected mirror. You get the perfected mirror because every physician and um, physicist will tell you that to get an ultra reflective surface, you need two reflective materials, combine them into one to get it. That's how your mirror has a silvered back covered with glass. So yeah. water now perfects that reflection. Yeah. So we we see ourselves dimly day by day. This deals with the sanctification of the believer. Yeah, yeah. We see ourselves daily through the opinions of friends, family, <laughs> through what the news says, through what the media says, through what our academics, our work, they, your people define themselves by the pay grade, by the 
their academic standings, by what friends say, by what family say, but then that perfecting gradient, the reflective gradient that you need to see yourself clearly, it is found in the word of God. As the water covers that bronze liver in the mirror, with the mirrors, then that, so that perfection of your image now is made clear in the word of God. Yeah, exactly. And only then, after you wash yourself, can you enter that place? Because it was clear in those Levitical books that if you did not wash yourself and you entered that place, the holy place, you will be struck down. <laughs> you will be struck down. That's what I believe it happened to King Uzziah because he tried to offer incense on God's holy altar without seeing himself in that living. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> Uzziah, do you know that in Isaiah 6, when he said, when he said, the day King Uzziah died, I saw the glory of the Lord. Yeah. It wasn't his physical death. <laughs> Do you know that it wasn't his physical death? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't his physical death at all. Because when he offered that um, incense, he was actually, you know, he was going contrary to God's system of government. Yes. Because in God's administration, it was the priest that was supposed to offer incense. Not the kings. Yes. So when he, da- he did that, leprosy was tr- he was struck with leprosy. Which was a revelation of his sin. Yes, he was struck with leprosy. And those, according to Leviticus, if you are leprous, you are considered unclean. And you are not supposed to be in the midst of the congregation. So they will shut you up. He was shut up in a, in a private place, in a private room all by himself. Yeah. So it was, um, scholars believe it was a kind of death. So that was actually his civil death, not a physical death. Yeah. Because at that time, he, I mean, he, it was around 702 BC. That was the same year. Um, the founder of Rome, Romulus, was born. Oh. So he wasn't, I mean, it wasn't his physical death. It was a civil death. Why? Because leprosy, which is sin, actually, when, when the man who is actually in sin before God is dead. Yes, yes. You know, so he was shut up in a... And, in a, and then that account says some brave priests. It actually <laughs> added that word, brave, so that to tell you that they were brave enough to hold the man and throw him out. Yeah. So this is just a digression. This is a digression. Can <laughs> anything yeah. to add? Because there is a lot in that tabernacle that yeah, talks yeah. of our sanctification. Maybe we'll get a special episode to talk yeah. about the tabernacle of Moses. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because really, because a lot of things, even the Levitical code, the Torah, yeah, it talks about our sanctification in bits and pieces. Yeah. For example, the the bread, how they make the bread, how the wine and then the the oil and everything was pressed. Yeah. Everything was pressed. In fact, how the crushing of the oil was made, it talks about the believer's affliction. Yeah. That's why it says that what tribulation produces patience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Patience <laughs> produces endurance. Endurance produces hope and hope does not disappoint. Yeah. That's what Paul was saying. So he says, as your affliction comes, it is what brings out the anointing. It's through the fairness of affliction that anointing comes. Speaking <laughs> of the believer. Yeah. You get it. So, Ken, Anything. I believe I think we should we should have half time then talk about this in into details in another time. Yeah, yeah we, maybe we, we after, really after, after the passion of Christ part two we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that the tabernacle because yeah. there's a lot of things we need to talk about concerning sanctification. Be ye holy as thou am holy. Right. But right now we'll pause here and we'll talk about it in a later episode. But right now I want us to address the matter of carnal Christianity. Yes, we'll talk about that before we go to glorification. Okay. But we want to talk about carnal Christianity. But because it was possible for priests, people to be Levites, but not serve in the tabernacle. You remember that in the Torah? Yes, yeah. it was very possible. So 
God was now telling you there's a possibility you can be called into his kingdom, but you will not intentionally grow. So what's the essence of holiness? What's the essence of sanctification? Because it's really a bother. We've spoken about it in an episode, which is yet to come. But what is it about sanctification that it's important for Christians? Why do we need to sanctify ourselves? Gentlemen. Simply put, because you have been made holy by God, now go and become what? Go and live that life that you already have on the inside of you. It's as simple as that. As he said to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? No one condemns you. Go and sin no more. It's as simple as that. Because you have been sanctified. Because God has added himself unto you. Now go and live out that life which you have. Yeah, senior. Yeah. I mean, it's it is that that's God's goal, you know, that He will inherit us and we actually inherit Him. You know, Ephesians one eleven that we have been made an inheritance, and that one is by the process of sanctification. Yeah, you know that God is is inheriting us and we are inheriting God. That's the mystery of the seal and the pledge. Hmm. Uh, that's it. He's inheriting us and we are inheriting Him. He's adding Himself into us. Yeah, and He's taking us into Himself. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That, and that's the beauty of Matthew chapter 5. <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they yeah. shall see God. In fact, a lot of Christians, I'm just wondering whether we see God every day in our lives. <laughs> but then that's, the, that's why God has empowered us to be holy. That's why God has empowered us to be pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But then what's the end result now to salvation? So this is where we talk about glorification. Yeah. Glorification. I think one of my favorite passages about concerning the theme of glorification, First Corinthians 15, verse 50, down to 59. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not <laughs> sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised, and we shall be raised incorruptible. For indeed, flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom oh. of God. Flesh and blood. <laughs> flesh and blood. This is why we needed to talk about sanctification, because sanctification deals with the issue of flesh and blood. That the flesh must die and that the carnal nature in our blood must go. Just as Prosper said, the homo illustration, that we are washing ourselves, we are being transformed day in and day out to become a revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That we, we can only become ambassadors if we look like the ambassador himself, the chief ambassador. That's Jesus Christ, the man. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I mean, that's okay. glorification. Yeah. I mean, so... I, um, in First Peter 3, the Bible said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, which according to his abundant mercy have begotten us again unto a lively hope, unto an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that which faded not, you know, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. You know, so the, so the kind of salvation we are waiting to be revealed is the salvation of our bodies. That's the, our bodies, and we put on our resurrected bodies. You know, we'll be in our resurrected bodies and Charlie. <laughs> you know, Paul said, I mean, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, mm. 2 Corinthians 5, we have, a, we have a building of God. Mm. Is that what you have now is a tabernacle, but what you are going to have then is a building. Mm. You know, so what you have now is temporal. It's, it's a transient. Tent. It's yeah. a tent. <laughs> it's transient. You know, it's, it's temporal. You are going to put on these glorified bodies and you are going to live. Oh, God. <laughs> but that's the beauty of salvation. That yeah, yeah, yeah. We, are, we were once a playground for sin, but now mm. we have become God's real estate. 
Yeah. That now God has us as his permanent address. And one day, the fullness of that revelation, in fact, that revelation has been made. But then, where creation and everyone can attest without a doubt that indeed God dwells amongst them, the full revelation of Emmanuel will be made manifest in us. You know, and um, the Bible also says that creation, in as much as this glorification is also in the future, it has a lot to also do with the present. Yes. You see, the Bible said creation actually is it, the endless expectation of the creature waited, waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. And that's our glorification. Uh, glorification. Yeah. You know, it said the endless. <laughs> you know, the word endless is the word apokaradokia, mm. which means to wait for somebody with an outstretched neck. Mm. You are looking to see. Yeah, that's what creation is doing. Yeah. Because creation is subject unto vanity. To bondage. Uh, you know, unto futility. Because when Adam sinned, the purpose of creation was lost. Creation now became useless. Yeah. So the sons of God actually have to restore that order. You know, we are God's restoration project. <laughs> that's the that's the essence of glorification, the revelation of the sons and daughters of God as God's restoration project. Yeah. In fact, in fact, it's so serious. I mean, it's so epic that Isaiah said, "In that day, on the mountain of the Lord." There shall neither be weeping. <laughs> that he said it will be so epic that even babies will play with snakes and nothing will happen to them. Yeah, yeah. The wolf and the sh- the wolf and the sheep and the lion they shall eat grass together. Yeah. They'll they will form a club and they will eat grass together. I yeah. mean, it's that epic, the restoration project of God. Yeah. This yeah. is why the Christian cry within our heart is that as Revelation says, the spirit and the bride say, Come, um, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come, <laughs> come, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Because as much as we are living our salvation, we are waiting for that salvation. And that, behold, I tell you a mystery. We mm. shall all not sleep. We shall all not die. We shall all not sleep, but we shall be changed. In fact, do you know, death and sleep becomes two different things to a Christian. In fact, yeah. sinners die, but Christians sleep. sleep yeah. <laughs> that he says that we shall sleep. Yeah, we just pass through death. We just pass. <laughs> death becomes the door. <laughs> when we were running away from death, people will now say death is the chaperone. It's, yeah. It tells you that, okay, transit to glory. Move. Because death is the food for resurrection. Where, <laughs> <laughs> where, okay. where, 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 oh my goodness. If I, okay, and, and even to add this, even the Old Testament saints, they, they were looking forward for this glorification. Yeah. Remember when Joseph died, he gave commandments that his bones should be taken. Same with his father, Jacob. Exactly. Why? Because Joseph, he was actually he he anticipated the resurrection. Why? Because in the resurrection, flesh and blood shall not inherit, but but because flesh and bones will inherit. Mm. Because when he's resurrected, he'll put on his fleshly bodies. It'll be on the bones, flesh and bones. There'll be no blood because the spirit of Christ will be flowing through us. That we will be pumping the energy (laughs) of his life. We will be pumping the energy Uh, of his life. We'll be pumping the energy of his life. In fact, that he said that when (laughs) John seventeen says that he. When he said, if you are not being here, Lazarus now there. He says, relax. I am resurrection yeah. and life. I am resurrection and life. I am resurrection <laughs> and life. I am resurrection and the life. Hallelujah. That is the glorification. That Hallelujah. The fullness of Christ, that zip folder that has been compressed, it will be exploded. It will be made manifest in us. That is the essence of our salvation. Exactly. And exactly. this is why the Christian life is a life of hope. Yeah. It's a life of hope. In fact, there are three things. He says, three things shall remain. First Corinthians 13, 13. He faith, says, hope, and love. 
faith, hope, and love. Yeah. The life of our justification it's is faith. a life of faith. Yeah. The life of sanctification is a life of love. love. The life of our glorification is a life of hope. And the Bible said, oh, these Old Testament saints, they look forward to this hope. They were persuaded so much that they saw themselves as strangers and pilgrims because they had a better hope. And they were seeking an oh, inheritance oh. elsewhere. <laughs> an inheritance elsewhere. So much so that Abraham, Moses and Elijah had to come back to see <laughs> it for themselves. What do you think the transfiguration was about? <laughs> because Moses was hoping to see God. And God said that, I can't show you my face now, but at least I'll satisfy you with my back. <laughs> then you hear my name. I'll proclaim my essence. That my word goodness. name. That oh, my greatness. He said that phrase there was that God was proclaiming his essence before Moses. So Moses was seeing shadows. Oh. But then God, but then God didn't give him a definite answer, yes or no. He said, No man shall see me and live. <laughs> so this was the condition. You mustn't <laughs> flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So to see. The fullness of God's kingdom. Moses didn't have to have flesh and blood. No, no, so no. he had to come back <laughs> after. My goodness. And then yeah. Elijah, he came, he saw the Lord. He covered himself. He covered himself and he said that you, that who, when the world went, the fire and everything came through. And my goodness, in fact, it's a lot. But this is the life of hope. This is the life of hope. This is why we are brimming with hope. As you Christians. have a better hope. You, you have, have a better, better hope. hope. Up above. Oh. So, any concluding anything? Can sum, sum up what they've said. I would like to read the scripture. Second Corinthians 5 from verse 1. It says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Mm. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Yeah. For while we are in this temple, we are in this tent, we groan and are bedding. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Mm. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Hallelujah. 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 In fact, that is why Hallelujah. we have this burden. This, this it's an oxymoron, but I say joyful anxiety. That's why it moves us to talk about it like this, that we talk about Jesus, we talk about heaven, we talk about the coming of the Messiah, that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, and Jesus will come to save, and Jesus will come to reign again. And this is what we are doing at Calvary Central, and we are telling you this, that, hey, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. We'll talk about each one of the themes a little more deeper but because of time constraints we have to wrap up and pack up so thank you very much for being with us on this episode on this ride i mean the christian life indeed is a very heavy filled life a very spirit filled life and i want to say thank you from kenneth from prosper from myself kwame we want to say a big thank you do follow us calvary underscore central twitter instagram and do reach out. And thank you for reaching out to all those who reached out to us. Thank you for reaching out to us. And do continue to reach out to us. We'll be glad to talk to you, to hear from you, and then to chat with you. So stay blessed and do enjoy the Christian life. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by The Milk Factory. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Have a lovely week. We love you and God bless you.